This episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Freshly. Meal kits are a thing of the past. Freshly is the new way to get dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs send you delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat better without any of the work, no cooking or cleanup required. Delivered to your door fresh, their meals are ready when you are. Just heat them up when you're hungry. Freshly chefs and nutritionists make sure that every meal is all natural, nutritious, and made with high-quality ingredients. So now you can come home late and still have a delicious chef-cooked meal waiting for you. Just choose from the rotating menu of 30 options. The steak peppercorn and the homemade meatloaf are two of my favorite offerings that Freshly has on their menu. Not only are they delicious, but all that hard work has been done for me. Try Freshly and you'll see what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash Woj, spelled W-O-J, to get $25 off your first order of six meals. That's $25 off free shipping at Freshly.com slash Woj, W-O-J. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in Los Angeles, site of Sunday's NBA All-Star Game, I'm in LA Live and here today with Toronto Raptors coach Dwayne Casey, whose Raptors are leading the Eastern Conference heading into the All-Star break. And Dwayne will be coaching the LeBron team in Sunday's All-Star game. We talked about this Raptors team and how they've really transformed their style of play and really their identity in what's been a breakout season for them as a group. But we talk about a lot more. We talk about guns in America, race in America, with a man who grew up in the South saw the Klan marching through his town and has a unique perspective on what's going on in our world and in this country. We also talked about his time in Seattle with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, a unique time and place in pro basketball history that Case had a front row seat for as part of George Carl's staff and a lot more. So here's my visit with Toronto coach Dwayne Casey. Here with Dwayne Casey for what's become our it's not biannual. Yeah. It's every other year, mm-hmm. All Star Weekend pod. How, how are you, Kiss? Doing great, Woj. How you doing, buddy? If they would have told you this summer, best record in the East, two games ahead of Boston, six and a half up on Cleveland, when you looked at your team, would you thought that's? I can believe that. Well, I wouldn't have doubted it. I was. I would have to say, Woj, you were pleasantly surprised. Not by our veteran players, but mostly about the production of our young guys. Uh, to be honest, we didn't really know exactly what we were going to get out of that group. But we also, you know, Masai and I sit down before the season started and talked about this is a year we want to develop them uh, and play them. So we, we knew that was going to happen. But uh, I, I could honestly say I didn't know for sure what the results were going to be, that they were going to be as productive and as cohesive as they are now. Uh, I don't know if anybody exactly could have said that. I don't think Masai, if he was honest with you, would say that <laughs> he knew. So, again, we're excited about him. We're, we're, we're pleased with him. And, uh, you know, but it's a pleasant surprise that we are in the – with that those goals and those uh, – kind of uh, mandates in mind uh, that we are where we are right now. You were at All-Star Weekends in Seattle. Mm -hmm. You guys coached. Thinking of, you know, 90s into the 2000s, what this has become, does it even look the same as it used to? No, not even close. We were in two. We were one in San Antonio. And I think, if I remember correctly, the one in in, uh, New York was Kobe's rookie year. I think it was. And uh, both of them were is nowhere near the magnitude that it is now. I remember pulling up at the Marriott in San Antonio. Uh, had my own bags, had got my own taxi ride from the <laughs> airport, and now things are so organized with NBA personnel meeting you at the airport, and just the whole apparatus put together is is unbelievably well done, well organized, and so much bigger than it was at that time. That's the biggest difference. Maybe the biggest difference of modern NBA and the NBA you started. You don't have to do anything for yourself anymore if you don't want to, right? <laughs> Bags, 
restaurant, everything. everything. It's amazing. Wayne Emery and I were talking about that the other day. Our travel party, which every team has now, is unbelievable. And Wayne come through age, and when I first came in the NBA in the early 90s, come through at a time where the travel parties were nowhere near. I know now when I go out of the locker room to give dap to you know coaches and everything, it's about 10 people that I give dap to, whether it's the uh, workout coaches, the strength coach, whoever it is. But it's great. It's the way of the NBA now. Uh, to be a successful organization, Woj, you got to have just so many areas covered, whether it's analytics, weight training, uh, nutrition, whatever it is, you know, everybody has that now to be successful. I remember sitting with Tommy Heinsohn in Boston a few years ago before a game in the press room, and he's telling a story about, like, 1950s Celtic travel, and that there was, I want to say it was Fort Wayne or Sheboygan, uh, right, yeah. where they would literally drop you off at the bus station five miles outside town, and they would hitchhike into town. So there would be Bill Russell and Bob Cousy just looking to get a ride from somebody on the side of the road to go into a town to play an NBA game. No question. <laughs> it has grown so much, the travel. And, you know, the bags, you don't touch your bags. You see your bags when you <laughs> drop them off and you touch them when you get back to the hotel. We have it so good as far as, you know, the travel, the organization. Uh, our organization from top to bottom is first class. we Multicultural, uh, you know, whatever gender there is, we have it. Uh, so, you know, Jennifer is our, our PR uh, director. And so it, it, there's, it's so well-rounded. And I think it, throughout the league is the same way. And it's, it's really, really good to see for, for our league and uh, that represents all those things that you're looking for, whether it's uh, racial equality, Gender equality, uh, if you're able to do a job, the NBA is a place to be. Case, we're going to hit on a lot of basketball stuff and mm-hmm. go back in time on a few things. But I want to ask you about this. You live in Canada mm-hmm. now, obviously. You've been there. This is your seventh season with the Raptors. You lived abroad. You lived mm-hmm. in Japan for mm-hmm. five seasons mm-hmm. coaching. Mm-hmm. And you and your wife, Brenda, have two school-age children. Mm-hmm. And you have seen in this country one slaughter after another in American schools, and we saw one another yesterday in, in mm-hmm. Florida. Mm-hmm. You live in a country where this doesn't happen. You think about that, you and your wife think about that as a parent, and think about being in a place where gun laws are very different, and maybe parents in Canada don't go to bed at night, or teachers don't go to bed at night, thinking about mm-hmm. what has almost become a weekly occurrence here. It's amazing you said that, Woj. My wife and I were talking on the way to the airport this morning, uh, trying to filter what was coming across the radio about Florida with our kids because they're so innocent uh, because you don't have those issues. You do have problems in Canada, you do, but nowhere near the magnitude where a 19-year-old kid who has mental health issues can walk in or order or online or whatever you can do because of our crazy gun laws in the United States and purchase an AK-47, things that you – my brother even said I, he used that when he was fighting over in Afghanistan and, and Iraq, when they invaded Iraq. So how you can ever do that in our country and be able to purchase those kind of weapons for whatever reason, Second Amendment be damned, you know, and go out and have – what is it, 18 in one year to, yeah. to happen when you send your kids to school, you're worried that uh, are they going to come home at night instead of are they going to get a good education. And we've got to do something about our laws, and the only way we can do that is through election. We've got to get out and vote. We've got to take voting seriously. Uh, it was at one time about racial equality. Now I, I think one of our major issues is gun control, and we don't have that in Canada. That is a beautiful thing about uh, the country of Canada. I'm not Canadian. I'm American, but living there, working there, and happily so, because my kids are very treated very equally. They're safe. You can walk down the streets at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and not have to worry about getting mugged or, or gunned down or whatever. So, you know, and it's, it's right across the border. So if a country like Canada can control, control guns and have guns against the law and have strict gun laws like they do, why can't we? Why can't we? And you still, they still have hunting. They still have hunting all over Canada, you know, and, and, and enjoy that. So why can't we have gun laws where we can control it? 
uh, and have the guns for the military. I mean, that's that's uh, as easy as you can put it. But we have to do something to make our children safe, our families safe, because our major concern now in the United States is is violence and through gun control and the lack thereof. When you think about the platforms NBA coaches have mm-hmm. and a fearlessness around the league to talk on social issues that you don't see in the NFL, right. I'm not sure you see it in other right. pro sports, mm-hmm. why do you think you and your peers are different than maybe what we see elsewhere? Or why do you think there's a, a feeling that we can speak our minds on issues that maybe other coaches in other sports don't. Well, Woj, that's a great, but it starts with Adam Silver. He, he frees everyone up to let them speak their mind. And ultimately it goes down to our president, Messiah is the same way. He speaks his, his points about his country, his mind about different things. Um, and you know, uh, it, it starts at the top. So I feel like, and, and I, I tell our players all the time, as long as you're informed, as long as you are really have a, a strong feeling, just don't go and copycat or mirror what somebody else said. But if you're saying something from the heart, from what you might have experienced, speak about it. You know, because you have a great platform to go out and speak about whether it's racial equality, gun control, drugs, whatever it is, exercise. So all those things that 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 uh, are very important to you, speak about it. But again, the freedom, the, the will, like myself, that uh, we talk about it in Canada. You know, some of the things that are happening here in the states, and I know Steve Kerr. I read some of his comments, and Pop is great with his comments. And for him to say that, for a sixty-plus-year-old man to say some of the things he says about racial equality is strong. Is strong because he came in a generation where that was a no-no. That way, I came through a generation where that was a no-no. Pop, I'm not right behind Pop. So I, my hat is off to him. I, you know, if I had as big a platform as he has, I would do the same thing. I try to do the same thing in Canada. Uh, but again, it's hard for Canadians to really relate because they haven't had the segregation, the Klan, the, you know, all the things that we've gone through in the, in the South. You know, I was a fifth or sixth African American to play at the University of Kentucky. And at the time we were, I think I can't remember my record, 12 and 12, 13 and 13. And everybody said we had too many black players and they didn't use that word. Yeah. You know, so, and we went on to win an NIT and two years later we won the NCAA championship. But, um, you know, it's hard for a lot of Canadians to relate unless they lived in the States because, you know, they, they, they have some issues there too with the First Nation, uh, history they have with the First Nation, but nowhere near nowhere near the struggles that have happened in the United States. You and I have talked in the past about growing up, seeing the Klan, mm-hmm. having them march right past mm-hmm. you in mm-hmm. town, living through segregation in the South. Mm-hmm. There's been a reawakening in this country mm-hmm. of that element. There's no mm-hmm. question. I mm-hmm. think they feel empowered mm-hmm. by this president, mm-hmm. this administration. I think it's clear mm-hmm. that they feel validated by mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I guess it was always there. Like, mm-hmm. African Americans know better than we right, would. Like, right, it's right, there. Right. Just seeing what you've seen here since the election and, and what led up to the election, does it take you back to those it, years? It does, it, and it's scary. It, it's very scary. Uh, I voted, voted, did not vote for President Trump, uh, but the things you see now, the subtleties, the nuances, the so-called the trigger words, uh, you know, let's take America back. You know, no, it hasn't gone anywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's still ours. We pay taxes. We we provide for our country. So it hadn't really gone anywhere. But all those trigger words are all saying, let's take it back from President Obama. All those things that are scary. And the things you see, uh, you know, and again, I'm going to say this, there are a lot of good people, Woj, a lot of good people that I grew up with that I that was called the N-word, but after they got to know, we got to know each other, we became great friends. So there are good people, but there's, there was always an element of our, our society in the, in the States where, you know, there was just waiting for someone to trumpet their, their cause. Let's take America back, you know, and let's, let's do, but again, uh, you know, America hasn't gone anywhere. It's not the right path to go. Some of the hate, hatred that's boiling under the surface is scary and uh i hope and pray that our our country doesn't you know go back that route or go back down that road and understand that how treacherous and how mean and how hateful 
those words and those feelings can be. You mentioned you and Brenda talking about the shootings on the way to the airport. With your kids, like you said, because you're living in Canada and you're trying to explain to them what's going on here and they're not seeing it in a way, has it been a challenge to explain because they've basically grown up there. Now. It is. And my 10 year old daughter, she's asking a million questions because she's at an age now where she, you know, she hears CNN or whatever we're listening to on television. So she's filtering in, you know, shootings here. Why did he do that? And all those things if he was sick. And so it's a challenge to make sure we filter and try to not, I don't want to have him innocent because someday we're going to come back to, you know, to the United States to live. But, you know, at the same time, they're such at an innocent age and, and things are so pure at the schools they go to in, in, uh, in Canada, you know, the school that they go to and my, Brenda went to him and said, Hey, there's no, uh, security at the door. You know, you, anybody can just walk in and you know, I think you have to buzz a button to go in, but there's no, there's no real security, so to speak, because, you know, they haven't had the issues we've had. Thank goodness. And, um, you know, so hopefully, you know, it, 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 we can do something about it with our vote. I think that's the major, uh, weapon that we have as, as citizens of the United States is to vote, is to vote the people out who are taking money from gun control, gun lobbyists who are promoting, uh, the guns to be out there on the streets. And let's call the politicians out who are taking money from those gun lobbyists and, and, and voting and keeping the guns flowing in the, in the United States. Today's show is brought to you by Gillette. Guys, I've been shaving for more than 30 years, and I've tried a number of different shaving products, but I've always gone back to Gillette. Gillette is a brand that I trust and know will always give me the quality shave that I'm looking for. Once I started using the Fusion Pro Shield, I knew there was no going back to any other razor. This razor helps me shield my skin from irritation, allowing me to feel confident that I'm going to look my best on and off the air. Plus, The precision trimmer on the back is great for those hard-to-reach areas and even styling facial hair. It also features a micro comb that helps guide stubble to the blades and has flexball technology that moves to the shape of your face to get virtually every hair. Long gone are the days of having to run out to the store to buy razors. Now, thanks to Gillette On Demand, I can get Gillette Performance delivered straight to my door. So forget forgetting to buy blades. Try Gillette On Demand to get Gillette Performance delivered straight to your door. Subscribe today and get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at www.gilletteondemand.com. That's www.gilletteondemand.com. When last season ended, Kyle goes down in the Cleveland series, and you struggle in those last couple games, get swept. Mm -hmm. And then Masai comes out in that first press conference Mm. and, you know, pretty boldly says, we are going to change the way Mm. we play. We're going to change our style. We're not going to depend on two players as much. We're going to move the ball and play as you Mm -hmm. have ended up, you've Mm -hmm. done. How does a coach accept that kind of declaration Mm -hmm. from the GM? I know you talked about it. Mm -hmm. How did you process that? Mm -hmm. Because it was was immediate and it was – Declarative. Right. Well, the, the good thing about it, Masai had a vision and we as a coaching staff had a vision also about how the game was evolving. We had talked about that, didn't make a decision until after Masai had talked about it, but we had talked during the season about what the game was going to, three point shooting, the analytical shots, the non paint twos, which, you know, DeMar DeRozan was great at because he was getting to the free throw line. And, but we also knew too, Woj, that also in the playoffs, a lot of those fouls weren't being called. So now it's just a, a non-paint two. So we knew going in after the season week was going to have to change. Masai and I talked. Masai, you know, made the bold declaration. And again, I would say this: uh, Masai is such a good leader. He not only was talking about basketball the, on the court stuff. He was talking about our entire culture. Less which a lot of corporations do, a lot of basketball teams do, but he saw fit to, hey, let's do it right now. We're, you know, a lot of teams do it when they're broke or not making the playoffs or rebuilding, so to speak. But he had a bold declaration by saying it when, 
we were top 10 in offense and top 10 in defense, so to speak. Uh, it, but it's not working. So, you know, let's do something else, which is a bowl. But again, it's something as a coach and who came through a time when there was a lot of play calls, isolation plays. Uh, I knew that this is the new NBA. This is how you win in the NBA uh, the way we're playing right now. I don't think people realize you're 60 because you look like 40, <laughs> look old, right? You, you no, know, you look just the opposite. Yeah. But a lot of coaches who've been around, mm-hmm. it is harder to compromise. Mm-hmm. It's harder to adjust. And I mean, even think back when you were coaching with mm-hmm. George Carl, mm-hmm. the coach was king in the NBA mm-hmm. then. It was mm-hmm. not the GM. Right. And now the word is partnership. Was it an evolution for you to say, okay, this it's a different day in the league, mm-hmm. and, and the way it is in Toronto is the way mm-hmm. it is in a lot of mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. Was that an adjustment for you, or did it fit your personality to be able to work that way? Because it's hard for a head coach. You, you mm-hmm. want to do what mm-hmm. you believe in. Mm-hmm. No, I, it, I believe in it, but I believe in uh, co-partnership. You know, from a, the general manager's office down all the way down, and we're on the same page. Win, lose, or draw. Uh, but it, it, you know, that's a. It, it, you know, it, it was an adjustment because of Masai's personality. He had played the game. He's all. He's been a successful GM, uh, and so it's a lot easier. I think where coaches do have a problem is if a, a general manager, or president has never played, never coached never been in that seat before and then all at once he comes in and now he's trying to dictate how you're doing it but again to be successful in our league you, there has to be a common denominator a common belief a common uh, core belief of how you're going to get it done and one thing I know about Messiah and I we're, we're different but we're a lot alike in the fact that we feel like hard work making sure you do things the right way uh, is the way to get things done. Now, there's a different ways to a million different ways to skin a cat, but to the core, he and I are a lot alike from that belief, so that makes it a lot easier. Uh, for me to accept the more the, the three-point shooting, uh, the switching where you come through the old school, where you know you guard your man and fight through screens and bust through screens. No, it's a different day, and I've seen that evolution. It started happening when we were in Dallas. I saw the game start changing, and I had to change my philosophy as a defensive coach or whatever coach you're going to be to keep up with the NBA. And I, I will say this: Pop, Greg Popovich was one of the first ones to start changing his style of play from. His days with uh, Tim Duncan and David Robinson and the style of play he was playing in. So I saw that change and how successful that was. So it, it is very – it's the, the new wave of the NBA is to, to make sure that you have, first of all, the personnel to do it, the personality to do as a coaching staff, and, and the partnership with your front office to, to establish, hey, this is who we are. What, what I think is unique about your team and how you built that roster, you know, you've really built your bench now largely through the draft, mm-hmm. through young guys who've developed, some first-round picks, some in the second. And then your guys have gotten better there. Like you look at player mm-hmm. development. People always talk about player development. Mm-hmm. And the Norman Powells mm-hmm. and the Fred Van Vliet's. And, who was undrafted. Yeah. yeah. And to not always have to go out, usually what you have to do in free agency is overpay for role players. Mm-hmm. And you've developed OGs come in. I don't know that anybody would mm-hmm. thought he'd yeah. be starting – on the best team in the East mm-hmm. coming off an ACL mm-hmm. injury at Indiana. What does it mean to sort of develop your own guys, draft them into, like what you're talking about, a culture and identity? Mm-hmm. This is how we're going to play here. This is what we're about. Mm-hmm. And then, like, and of course, it's financially, that's the cheapest way to mm-hmm. do it. Right. Like, like, I remember Masai and I talking before the trade deadline, and I kind of just got this sense your improvement was going to come from within because your young guys are going to be even better mm-hmm. by then. I don't. Mm-hmm. Boston's done it in their own way. They've mm-hmm. done that, but I'm not sure people have paid enough attention to how that's mm-hmm. gone with you guys. Well, that's one thing Masai's put an emphasis on. We put an emphasis on, and, and I go back to my roots in Seattle where I was with Tim Gergerich where player development, even with the older guys, was huge. It was the number one thing, staying after practice, coming early, summertime. We started, you know, working in the camps out in Vegas, uh, but the working with Gary Payton, sweating with those guys. And when I was a lot younger, I with my shirt off for grabbing and holding and doing all those things. So I grew up with that core belief also that player development. So that's right up my alley. So my heart is is with guys like Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell. Pascal Siakam, who is another is a guy who's worked on his game. And uh, so I believe in guys like that. 
because uh, I've seen the progress, you know, through the years of guys putting in the work in the summertime, sweating in the gym with those guys. Uh, so, it, you know, that, that is fun for me to, to coach guys like that. And, and so it was music to my ears when Messiah said, Hey, we're going to play these guys. One guy I feel like, you know, I failed or we failed as a coaching staff is Bruno Cabocolo. Uh, it just, you know, we had so many young guys. Uh, and just, you know, just didn't, he just didn't, hadn't reached, and it's still there. He's, he's a kid that's on the, on the rise, but just didn't get, go as fast as a guy like Norm Powell or Fred Van Fleet or Pascal for whatever reason. Uh, but that's one who slipped through the crack and, you know, with us as far as player development is concerned. When you, when you think of all the years you've coached at different levels, overseas, here, college, do you have like a handful of guys in your head that you still think about? I didn't reach that kid. I thought there was something there. We didn't get it out of him. Do those stay with you? Well, uh, I, that I, I think of some kids like that. D'Antonio Wingfield was oh, yeah. a kid that I remember I worked with back in Seattle. Out of Cincinnati. Yeah, out of Cincinnati. Just couldn't, just, just couldn't get over the hump, uh, you know, and one of those kids who had all the talent in the world. Uh, bless his rest his soul. Eddie Griffin in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Worked with him individually after practice, before practice, trying to reach him. So yes, there are certain guys uh, that you you feel like in your coaching career that you work with, trying to develop, trying to pull forward, and just they just you just can't get them over the hump. But uh, I will say that there's there's more there's far more good stories yep. than there are bad ones. But there are you know, every coach I'm sure in the league has one or two players that they wish they could have grabbed and got a hold of and 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 had as a finished product. Case like you know as the next generation of player comes on, there's always everyone always compares. This guy is like that guy, and there's all you can always see a little mm-hmm. bit of players in from different eras. Sean Kemp. Has there ever really been another Sean Kemp? Is there who, – who is it? Like, he was so unique. I tell you what, it's amazing you said that because I said after our game against Miami the other night, the uh, Bam Adebayo, that young man reminds me so much of Sean. I've known Sean since he was like a ninth grader in high school. I started recruiting him when I was at Kentucky and uh, watched him grow, watched him develop, watched him win a lot of games by himself. He would bring the ball down the floor, finish the play, shoot the jump shot. Uh, play the point guards, whatever position in high school he had to play. And it's funny because I recruited him. I would go to Elkhart and then I would drive down the ro- right down the road and see Rick Fox, who Rick Fox was playing was in high Warsaw. School. It was right? in Warsaw. How, how many miles from Lexington to Elkhart? Like how oh, long would it take you? Oh goodness, I can't. It no. was, uh, I, but I would. I would usually do is fly into Chicago oh, okay. and then drive right. over. So then I drive back okay. and forth between those two. two. I would see go down and see Rick practice or go see Sean play that night. And so, and I, I remind Rick of that all the time. He remembers it. So, cause he was really close and I know he was close with North Carolina. His high school coach loved Indiana at the time. So it was Kentucky, Indiana, North Carolina recruiting him. And it was ourself, Indiana and Notre Dame recruiting Sean Kemp. So, uh, it was a battle and uh, the principal at, at Elkhart really wanted Sean to go to Indiana. And the high school coach really wanted him to come to Kentucky. So uh, we got him. And uh, his mother and grandmother, I never forget him, rest of their soul, that they really were pushing. You know, they felt like that Kentucky would be a good place for him. And so I watched him grow through high school, his year in college. He went to junior college. Uh, and then he went to Seattle. And, and probably in itself was one reason why I got into the NBA. It was my relationship with Sean. At the very best, at when Gary Payton and Sean and that group in Seattle was playing at their very best, when you guys were winning and it was a show every night, have you seen many since in the league like it that captured a city and a region the way that team did? It's hard to recreate. It, no question. Seattle, Washington is the best-kept basketball secret in the world. Uh, Barry Ackerley and Ginger Ackley, she just passed away not too long ago. Uh, and their family did a great job of reinvesting into the team, everything they put back into the team. It was the only team, it was kind of had a natural rivalry with Portland. So we had that rivalry, but they were a very knowledgeable fan. They had won a championship, you know, so they, you know, they knew what basketball, very knowledgeable fan base there in Seattle. Hot topic every day. Uh, we made the finals, I think it was 96, and you would have thought we won the championship uh, with George. But Gary and Sean, 
uh, and Detlef Shrimp also. Um, they, you know, they were just the, their chemistry, their togetherness, their style of play was ahead of its time. We were sh- we were switching pick and rolls and all that stuff back then, shooting the three with Sam Perkins inverting the floor with Gary inside and Sam Perkins a seven footer shooting the three was doing that back then. So, um, you know, it, it's amazing. It's one of the best-kept secrets in the NBA. It was the talent level and, and the excitement that Gary, Sean, Sam Perkins, Detlef Shrimp, and that group had. Is it still amazing to you that the, it's gone this long now? There's no team there. It's not – listen, it may come. Right. And other things have to get into place arena-wise and ownership. Is it gonna, would it be a team moving? Would they expand? But that there's just – that market stays empty. It's, 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 it blows my mind. I live there in the summertime and I'm not just saying this because there, but it is a, a, a basketball hotbed. You know, just look at all the high school players that are coming out of that area. Uh, you know, Mike Hopkins is turning around the University of Washington, getting it on the national map. So it, it's, it's a basketball city, a basketball area. You got a natural rivalry with Portland right there down the road. Uh, so it blows my mind that, that – and plus, on top of that, look at all the capital, the financial capital that is there in the – got Amazon, Microsoft, Star – all the huge companies that are there right there. Let's say hypothetically there's a team back there and they're running it right. Don't you think in this day and age with the right ownership and the right – that it would be a monster in free agency? Huge. Right? Because I, I tell you what, Kevin Durant. You know, I'm, I don't, it's not tampering anything, but he, he had a house there for a long time because he had went there as a, as a rookie, stayed there. Ray Allen had a place there for a long time. Uh, you know, Casey, uh, Casey, uh, Jones had a place there Mm -hmm. for a long time. Bill Russell still lives there. A lot of former players, a lot of NBA players love Seattle and, uh, some of them still make home there. So it's a great city. It reminds me a lot of Toronto, but to believe it or not, the the the, the melting pot of people, the li- uh, the liberal approach, the liberal attitude that people have, and it's a great place to raise a family. So uh, it would be a hotbed for free agents there in Seattle. We'll get back to Dwayne Casey in a minute, but I want to take a moment to tell you all about Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm, except it's with your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It is an absolute true home run. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast now to see what deals are happening. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch. So score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Support for the Woj Pod comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time and make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Woj. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Would you have imagined, I mean, you think of, you got hired by Brian Colangelo Mm -hmm. and Masai took over and, you know, we've talked about this. There was a period there where 
like they're just going to clean house. They're going to trade everybody. Maybe I'll be gone. He'll bring in quote unquote his guys, uh-huh. right? And and then all of a sudden that team started winning and didn't stop winning, and and everything changed. Mm-hmm. To think about in this league, in this day and age, seven seasons, three hundred plus wins in one place, all time winningest coach. When you went to Toronto, you had had that short run as head coach mm-hmm. in Minnesota, which mm-hmm. you sort of came in at the tail end of mm-hmm. something that was mm-hmm. ending there. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like when you think of the shelf life of staying in a job in this league. Well, one, I, first of all, I'm thankful to the ownership, uh, you know, to Larry Tannenbaum, George Cope, and it really starts with Larry Tannenbaum. Here's a man who had a vision uh, a long time ago, scouring the country, trying to find a team for sale, finally got one. Uh, stuck with it and, and, you know, kind of pulled people in and out and finally took over himself, had a vision of kind of what we're building and what's going on now we're going toward right now. Um, now with, with Bell and Rogers also involved, the, you know, the patience that they've shown with me as a coach, our coaching staff, who I have a, a great coaching staff and, you know, Masai coming in could have cleaned house at the time. Uh, but again, Brian Colangelo also kind of started it. He, he had a vision also, kind of got it off the ground, got it going. And then Masai came in and injected steroids, so to speak, <laughs> to what we're doing and pushing us every day and, and keeping us going and with his spirit and his, his, uh, his vigilance. So it, it's, it, it's, it, it again, it, but it starts with ownership, having the patience to understand, okay, we can keep changing coaches every other year, two years, three years, whatever it is, but let's get continuity. And I'm not just saying this because I'm there, but I, I say this for all coaches. I think to build a, a successful program, uh, unless you're going to go out and sign Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and, and anybody else all in one year, which you can't do with salary cap and everything, but, uh, Patience and building and continuity is the way to build a program. And, you know, we haven't achieved where we want to go yet, but um, I can see how how much easier it is to build, develop, and and to, you know, make steps toward where we're going by through the continuity. And I think as a coach, too, like you just want the chance to win. And you know there's some situations you just don't have a chance. Right, and we right, know who right, they are. And there's right. coaches who, right. like, it's like I just – like, I'm not going to win here. Like, it's impossible. It's not set up for me to have success. Right. And they're going to keep cycling through new coaches every two or three right, years. Right. To be in a place where, like you said, like, you guys have Messiah's drafted well. And, mm-hmm. like, you know you have a front office that, like, you know, you leave the – and I've been there and I've seen it with you guys. Like, you know, you might be heading out and, mm-hmm. like, you peek in and mm-hmm. there's somebody in there grinding tape and watching. And, right. you know, all of a sudden here comes a, a Fred Van Vliet into camp who mm-hmm. you go, who's this guy? Oh, mm-hmm. he can play. And, right. You know, you hit on not just the high picks, mm. but you hit on those that fill out your roster. Like as a head coach, you're like I have a chance. No question. Right? It does. You feel that way. You feel starting with Messiah, and it goes on down. Messiah had the vision to to put the 905 program in, which kind of jump started, giving these young guys time to play and develop, and they're not cheap. So the resources ownership saw that, put that in down at Mississauga. Our analytical department is second to none. Uh, Dan Tozman has done a great job with, with the 905 team and organization scouting. Our scouts, they go all over the world and do a great job. And so, you know, Messiah's put together an organization and a team himself in the front office that is second to none. And I've been with some other good teams. We, I thought we had a good group in Dallas. We had a good group in Seattle. But uh, Messiah's taking it to another level as far as his organization, his vision of what he wants uh, how he wants to do it, and the people he has in place. Bobby Webster is a, a general manager waiting to happen because of his intelligence, his experience in the league office, his ability to communicate with anybody. And I think that's a key uh, thing throughout our organization with Messiah can communicate, whether it's you're from Africa, England, France, wherever. So it doesn't matter. And I think that's a huge um Plus, in, in his corner, in our corner, that we have so many people that are smart and able to communicate and also to evaluate talent. Because at the end of the day, you know, that is what we're judged on is winning. And you got in this league, you got to have talent. The years you spent with Gary Payton in mm-hmm. Seattle and watched, I mean, you coached him, but George was the head coach. Mm-hmm. How much of the challenge of Payton has helped you with Kyle Lowry? <laughs> I tell people this all the time. Kyle reminds me so much of Gary. 
but n- nowhere near uh, a, a pain in the butt as Gary was. At the, and Gary will tell you now the, where he was. But it's similar, you know. It's, but that, you know, I saw if I hadn't had the experience and seen what George, um, I wouldn't say went through, but they had to <laughs> no, work, you'd say with, it. <laughs> work, work with with Gary, uh, I would say, you know, God, this guy's out of control. And, right. and again, you know, Cal has, has matured and grown so much. But, you know, he, there's an edge about him which makes him great. Hit, the edge about Kyle is he has to be that way because a little guy from Philly that it was soft, he would never have made it in the NBA and made a multi-time all-star. Give me an example of a day, just Gary Payton walking into the practice facility, uh-huh. walking into the gym in Seattle. Explain to me how he could wreak havoc by just walking in the building, going to practice. I, well, one is I ain't practicing today. Okay. <laughs> I, I ain't doing nothing today, George. You can kiss my you-know-what. <laughs> or I never forget one game. We sitting there, and, and you know how you bark as a coach, and, and George is on the sideline. Gary, you got to get out. You got to get in. Stay in front of him. And Gary looks over at George and said, George, bring your – that you know what out here and guard him and I said okay this is the NBA so but uh, at the same time I knew Gary respected George's knowledge for the game his coaching ability and I feel the same way with Kyle you know we may disagree we may agree to disagree but at the end of the day we respect each other uh, I've, I have the utmost amount of respect for what Kyle has made himself into uh, the type of player he is the type of man he's become uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's intelligent. He's on top. So just to see that makes you feel good, and, and I'm glad I've had the opportunity to work with him. When you think back, when you learn what it's like to coach in the NBA, and college is so different because you have, you have power over the players. You have power over the scholarship. You have power over the coaches, a bigger figure than the players are in college. In the NBA, it's almost in all cases, it's the opposite. Was sort of Seattle the introduction to you and to – like, if they don't respect you, if they don't think you know what you're talking about, you're finished. Like, the challenge it is to earn that with players. No question. Over time, Woj, that's the thing. If players understand that you have the knowledge, that you're prepared, that you work at your craft, uh, they will respect you. But if they feel like you're blowing smoke uh, or not giving them the right information or correct information or doesn't know, you don't know what you're talking about, and then they don't see the results, then you're toast. And that's, that's one thing I, I pride myself with. I saw it in Seattle it, where George was prepared. He knew everything about the other team. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what would work in the NBA. Uh, and so that's why I pride myself on being prepared, knowing every play call, what everybody's tendency is going to be with the other team, no matter if it's a back-to-back, three and you know four, five nights or whatever it is, you have to be prepared to try to give your Put your team in the best position to win, whether it's offense, defense. Uh, one thing I have learned through the years, and I learned this through Rick Carlisle, is to delegate, to trust. I trust the assistant coaches with their information, their input immensely. Uh, and it took me a while. When I first went to Toronto, I, I wanted to do everything myself. I wanted to do the defense, do the offense. You know. But, again, it, it's to, to be good, you have to trust and delegate and have good people around you. And I know that's what Masai has done in the front office, and that's what we've done on the coaching side is have good qualified people. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse doing the offense, uh, Rex Kalamian doing the defense. We collaborate. We meet incessantly about what we want to do, how we want to do it, and then we, we get it done. So, uh, But if players understand and know that you have their best interests in mind, you're prepared, that you work at what you're, you know, you work at your craft, then they will respect you. If you had to rely on one player on your team to draw up a play in a big spot, <laughs> who are you handing the clipboard to? I would say Kyle. I would. I trust Kyle immensely, his knowledge, his feel for the game. Uh, we go head-to-head sometimes during the game about disagreeing. Uh, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, and I'm not too big enough to say I, that I'm wrong sometimes. And hopefully he'd say the same. So, But I would trust him. He knows the game. I think Kyle would be a great coach. Uh, if he could, uh, but I don't know if he could put up with other cows. That's the that's the thing. But he would be a coach because he knows the game. And right behind him, Demar Derozan is prepared too. He knows he's a quieter voice, but he prepare. He knows uh, what the other team is doing, uh, what he wants to do, what other team is going to try to do to him. 
Uh, so both those guys would be good, but I would say Kyle would be a, 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 an NBA coach if he wanted to be. A couple of years ago, I was in your locker room mm-hmm. after a playoff win, and Kyle was at his locker, and he had had this he had this long text message from Jay Wright, you know, his college coach, and he just mentioned to me, "Yeah, Coach Wright, text me, you know, just text me some thoughts after mm-hmm. games, and I'll watch." And I said, "Oh, it's great." I said, "That's great, Kyle. You know, you still really listen." to Jay's, you know, voice. And he goes to me, um, I always listen to Coach Wright, except when I played for him. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and that's, that's true. Kyle, but again, the, the maturity he's made, his relationship with his former coaches, uh, coaches who had so-called trouble with him at the time, his relationship with Jay. I talked to Jay. I saw Jay, you know, every time I see him and we talk about, it, you know, how Kyle <laughs> used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin McHale, all the guys. Yeah. But again, they want to know what, but again, I think with Kyle, his and our relationship is more of a partnership. You know, it's a give and take. It has to be, you know, for us to be successful and to get, cause I know to get where we want to go, he's the engine. He's our spirit. He's, he's the guy who in tough times, when there's a 50-50 ball on the floor, Kyle Lowry's going to come up with it. And again, it goes back to Gary Payton. When there's a 50-50 ball on the floor, guess who's going to come out of that scrum? Gary Payton. So they're very similar. And again, like you said, Woj, the relationship I saw George have with Gary, you know, hot and cold, hot and cold, but at time, game time, they were partners. And again, I, I, that helped me as far as relationship with Kyle and any other players that may be so-called, you know, challenging players to coach. And I, I would say, uh, Kyle has grown to be a guy who I enjoy coaching because I know what, you know what you're going to get. You know what to expect. And, uh, you know, over the years, we've, I think we've formed a good partnership. Case, when you think of that 2011 Dallas team, it was like, I just think you all knew, this is our chance to win. And we've got to, it may not come back around. Like the age of the players, the group, where it was, and a Miami team that was still trying to figure it out, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, you looked around the league and you said, hey, we, this isn't the end of anything in Toronto. But is there a feeling like, don't take for granted we're going to have another year where everyone's going to stay healthy and this, like... Are there any parallels between that year and what you see with this group? No question. I, you know, we don't have the same age as we had in, in in Dallas. We knew that the players had made all their money. They had made the all-star team. They were kind of on the other, right at the top of the mountain, ready to go to the other side. Uh, where in Toronto we have a, a good group of young guys and, and older guys who, you know, there's a there's a window there that that chemistry, that togetherness, that feel. Uh, that, you know, it may not, may not last. We, we want to try to walk through the door while it's hot. Uh, to say that this year it's, it's the only year, I wouldn't say that, but we can't take it for granted, you know, cause it, it may not come around the chemistry, the lightning in the bottle, the improvement of the young guys, the older guys allowing the young guys to be who they are. You know, because Kyle and Demar both could have said, "Hey, no, I'm not giving up my touches. I'm not giving up my minutes." You know, but they have led the charge of allowing the young players to be who they are and support them. They are their biggest cheerleaders. Now, there's going to be some nights, Woj, where the young guys just can't get it done, and we have to ramp up Kyle and Demar's minutes. But for the most part, they're the ones who are promoting. Hey, go ahead, young guys, helping coaching on the sideline. So again, we have to strike the iron wires hot. Uh, whether it's this year, next year, but I, you know, I like our team, I, I, you know, and again, I think we have a window there that we want to try to go through while, while, it, while we have it going. Last thing, Case, when you walk out on the court Sunday night, mm-hmm. you know, you walk out and you look around, best players in the world on the court, you know, in LA, do you allow yourself in those moments to think about the journey? Cause it's an all-star game, so you're not really, right, right, right. do you think you'll allow yourself to think about like what's been an incredible path to get right. to a night like that? Well, it is. I'm very blessed. Well, I've had a lot of beautiful people in my life to help me, to to help me walk through, to get to, to go through something, to make it through something in my coaching career, to give me the opportunity. The one I had in I have in Toronto, uh, in Dallas, Rick Carlisle and Mark Cuban. Uh, in, in Seattle, George Carl, you know, getting me out, out of, out of Japan. Uh, so it, it's been so many people that I'll, I'm sure I'll think about because it is an honor. And most of all, it's an honor for our, for the Canadian country, the country of Canada, you know, to be the first coach to, to represent Canada, the city of Toronto. And like you said, all the virtues and values 
that that country and the city stands for. And to to help, you know, keep basketball at the top of a conversation, you know, because that's I, I think in this league, Woj, one thing you want to do is try to be relevant and to build yourself into relevant and be in the conversation to say that's going to guarantee you're going to win a championship every year. I don't think so, because anything happened, a cold, flu, turned ankle, knock on wood, whatever. But you want to be relevant. You want to be in the conversation uh, when they start talking about teams who have a chance to win a championship, because a lot of factors go into that. Luck, health, whatever, whistle, whatever it is. So, But, again, I'm, I'm very blessed and very thankful our staff, our organization, Masai starting ahead in ownership, have come together and kind of put Toronto in a situation where now we're in the conversation. Case, have a fun weekend. Great last third of the season, and uh, and I'll see you down the road. Well, I, I want to say this one other thing. We're talking about yeah. social issues. I may get in trouble for saying this, but one thing also, too, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud of is one is African-American coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I think I don't think people even understand they, what they say is when they say, oh, he's a player's coach. He's a great communicator. He's a hard worker. And nowhere in that sentence is he's smart. He's a tactician. He's a tactician. He can game plan. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, before I get out of this game, I can help other young African-American coaches, whether it's in college, high school, all the pros to be able to say, hey, that guy can coach. And he knows how to put together a game plan. He can teach. He can develop. Uh, he, and also he can communicate, too, because that's part of teaching. But uh, that's one thing I, uh, that kind of rubs me a little bit. Sometimes when I see other coaches who lose their jobs, uh, he's a great communicator. But also, too, that guy can coach. And, you know, I had a long conversation with John Cheney about that. And, and he's a guy who you look at John, you wouldn't think of a, 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 a teacher, tactician, one of the best, one of the best. You represent that to me mm-hmm. more than any coach. Mm-hmm. When you think about what you went through at Kentucky mm-hmm. and the label, which was just recruiter, recruiter. Uh-huh. they called you a bag man, no, no, right? Whatever no, they want. Yeah. But it wasn't basketball coach. Right, right. You were there to get players, yeah, right? Exactly. And that was the perception. They didn't know that you – it's just easy for people to give labels right, right. and not Narrative. look deeper. And when you think about the path you took, there's very few people mm-hmm. who can change the way the world views them by just – and you did it by going to the bottom mm-hmm. and just starting and working, like you said, camps and mm-hmm. working out players and mm-hmm. going, being willing to go to Japan. A lot of mm-hmm. guys say, I want to coach. Right, right. Do you want to coach bad enough that you go to Japan for five years? Exactly. Like that's – okay. Yeah. Like people say, I want to coach. Right, you, right, you needed yeah, to. And right, you did yeah. – like – and I just think you – you illustrate that more right. that you can have a will to change the that, and I think it's 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 remarkable. Well, well it's a, it's a narrative, Woj, and it goes back to that social issue that we talked about, and it, it's in in sports, so to speak, whether it's football, basketball, whatever. Is sometimes you know we don't as fans or as writers or whatever don't do the homework, and I'm not saying this because you do, because you do your homework, do their homework. But the narrative is he's a communicator. He's a hard worker. And they don't look behind the scenes, hey, that guy knows what he's doing. Look what he did in this situation. Look what he did with this player. Uh, that th- Those guys can do that also. Wow. That was great. Great okay. stuff, Case. Okay. I, I appreciate you, you doing okay. this, as always. Thank you, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. I'd like to thank today's guest, Toronto Raptors coach Dwayne Casey. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on Apple Pods or wherever else you get your shows. And, of course, thanks to our sponsors today, Freshly, Gillette, and Mattress Firm. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.